Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Welcome along to the football show. We're going to be talking to Gareth McKay from the Ryan McBride Foundation around about half past nine. But Dan McDonnell is back with me. We're keeping an eye on the uh, Premier League this evening. Second halves are just underway at both the Etihad and at Anfield. Liverpool lead against Fulham uh, by one goal to nil. Mo Salah scoring from the penalty spot in the 17th minute. And Man City, despite a couple of good chances, particularly one for Rodri just before half time, are being held by West Ham currently nil-nil. Now you were saying earlier, Dan, that it's at this point it's completely advantage Man City in the title race after what happened last week but when you look at the fixtures they have left so they've got Everton Leeds West Ham as part of this run they're playing a lot of teams towards the bottom of the table who will probably dig in to just try and frustrate them over the next four weeks well that's it I mean they're facing the best manager in world football on Saturday by his own so, ambition so I mean that's, that, that couldn't have been anticipated at the start of the week um, yeah I mean like I'm just probably two sides to it with that yeah of course you're playing teams fighting for your life but in recent weeks they've played Southampton and Leicester um, and I had no real issues with it. I understand where you're coming from. Um, but I feel sometimes with this city team, like it's 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 sometimes it's these like home games against the team. Like West Ham are sort of safe now, really. I mean, they're sort of you know they're not quite safe. You know, like like these games against Crystal Palace at various times over the years where they drop off. I feel like a game where it's really intense. Um, they 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 have the sort of cool. They have the emotional cool to navigate it. Um. But you know, I mean, like it's, it is true. Like it's more to me the mental energy they're going to expand in the Real Madrid games, and it's coming off the back of that you'd be vulnerable rather than the teams you're actually playing. For me, I don't think it was any great giveaway when the B reel that was put up by Jack Grealish had shown on the other side of the screen that there was goal and the Champions League trophy, which was their season goal that they've got up in the dressing room. I think most people would have expected that City's primary goal is to try and win Europe. No, it is. Like I mean, I think it's. Is winning the league this season going to cement their legacy? No. Um, is Champions League? Yes. Um, and it's not as if you know. Not, it's not as if it's one of these leagues where coming second, you know, not winning your league costs you something in October or sorry in August. Um, you know, they, it, it doesn't. It, it's annoying. You know, like <laughs> that. That's a bit of a pain, but it's not going to have any impact on their finances or their wealth or whatever they do. So it's not. It's not. It's not all or nothing for them. Um, to sort of kind of sort of a an Amazon documentary phrase that might appro- you know apply to some of the other clubs that are involved in it. Um, so it's true, yeah. But in saying that, I suppose like you got to think um, these are elite athletes, and and I don't know like that competitive streak has to burn within you. Um, you pick and choose where you want to prioritize. I find with teams that often doesn't go well. They're an elite team also who tend to time their runs at the end of a season and. This has been the case even with the Liverpool seasons where they had to take it right down and go over 90 points to win a title and it's only that one season where Liverpool have won that's broken this absolute domination yeah. in the Pep Guardiola era um, of this Manchester City side. So they've become quite good at timing being good at the end of the season. Yeah, I remember being in here a couple of years ago talking rubbish actually about how City tend to, you know, sometimes like chuck it in for a season and they and they did in the Mancini years and like they Pellegrini, like they did, had the odd season where they they just would have this like inexplicable drop off, and you probably there was an element of that in the Liverpool title winning season, not to take anything away from it. You know, unusual fragility, but you yeah, you step back from it now and look at the honours list in in isolation uh, as they score. Um, you know, you, you you sort of 
you sort of realise that this actually is a dynasty. It's just like that Liverpool win was so epic, you know, and so emotional and so emotive, but it really was... Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's stopping it being like one of these European other European leagues where six or seven in a row. I thought they were going to have a quick look to see if it was offside. So it's a free kick that swung in from the left hand side. Nathan Aki is there at the back post to head it home. And probably for David Moyes, the most annoying thing about this, if you look at it, Dan, is the fact that there were actually two players at the back post in John Stones and Aki, um, which they usually are so well set up at set pieces. You wouldn't think that a central defender would have got there to get a free header. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes with these big, big teams, like you sort of naturally analyze their dominance in the context of like you know their their outstanding footballers. But you know, what's that line? You know, world class basics. You know, they're mm. often just very good on set pieces. Got to be up at five hundred one for your yeah, world class basics. Yeah, and, and like that's you know that's often what they do. Like they actually have got big goals from set pieces this year. It's not what you would ever think of. I think when you talk about when you when you talk about Man City, but um, I don't know what's you know. I'm not sure what's happened with West Ham there, but you sort of think, right, if you hold out for that long, don't concede that type of goal. You know, walk away thinking you've been undone by brilliance, not the basics. But, I mean, there's no coincidence that, that City did them better. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about City is they evolved, Dan, when it comes to these seasons, that Joe Cancelo has been so important in recent years for them, uh, particularly with the way they carry the ball forward. And now you see John Stone stepping into this auxiliary midfield role where he can also step back into defence come back to using the three centre-backs again. Grealish has found a way to become more involved in the team this season. He finds different ways and different solutions, even in the middle of a season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the Grealish evolution was probably one of the big stories of the season. Maybe just more interest in it because of his background, but no, it is true. Like, you know, and when the Stones thing again probably just exposes the depth of their squad that they have someone who has the all-round skill set to be able to do that quite comfortably. Now, I know... They do dominate a lot of games and we'll see how it pans out at the sharp end of the Champions League and you know, will some of the things they've tried um be relevant to that or will we see a slightly different thing? You know, like it I mean like they do have like I mean they should mean not to take away from they should be winning most of these games. Mm. You know, like with the with the muscle they have, with the like it is a state funded project, effectively, you know, and they do have that's my point, I suppose, like it takes away from an element of the the achievement, rightly or wrongly, as much as that's annoying for them, but like even if they they said they don't win the league, I mean I mean they if they if they don't even win the Champions League, they can they can go again without any with any difficulty. This isn't stating the obvious, it's been well documented, but it is you know, you can laud them sometimes, and I do. I I enjoy watching them, um, but I suppose you always have to check yourself sometimes of of why that is. Yeah, big spending elsewhere. Chelsea, reading Bernie Renee's article in the Guardian earlier today. So the total output from Todd Bowley is, I think, coming up somewhere like a billion at this point mm. because we just look at the transfer figures. But when wages are taken into account, and you also take the huge amount of money that Todd Bowley had to spend to purchase the club from Roman Abramovich last season as well. Yeah. It's remarkable what poor quality we're seeing on the pitch, despite the standard of squad and the amount of good players they have. Yeah, like I can't figure out if it's really funny or not. You know, the chess thing. I just don't think it's funny. I think people take a certain enjoyment. And then from sometimes I think it's like just the most absurd reflection of like modern football. Like it's just ridiculous. Like it's just prepo- like it's absolutely preposterous um, that you can you can be that bad having spent so much. But you know that power insulates you from from real consequences you know um, okay you don't, you're not going to be in Europe or whatever they'll miss out in Champions League funds and we'll see you know was, was Bowley and Co fully on top of the cost of a bad year who knows 
um, and like football as well I still think over time like if you spend enough money you'll eventually you'll eventually get there you know the, the, the ability they have to spend in the short term we've seen that with Newcastle except they've been smart you know Man City over the years after some early blips they were smart I mean I'm guessing we're not talking about like a state backed uh, thing here with, with, with Chelsea so we'll see like I mean do they is there a danger with this type of owner that the, you get you you invite so much ridicule that in some there comes a point where your pride dilutes your interest in it? I mean, it's well, possible. It depends how true these reports were. The top bully had apparently got into the dressing room and kind of went, "I've spent half a billion dollars on this team. How is it possible that you guys are performing so bad?" Yeah, like that would like it sort of would worry you, you know. But this is the thing: like Chelsea is such an an appeal like people thought when the Abramovich thing happened around sanctions and, and you know the, the war oh you know Chelsea you know Chelsea are screwed here you know and, and they had like the empty seats at games and, and um, you know there's a tough line being taken to them and will Chelsea ever be the same again and then you fast forward a period of time and like this is the thing like the Premier League is such a monster and the the franchises to use an American term within it are so attractive if they're big ones that you can you can sort of get away with being um, sort of recklessly bad. So like in some ways, it's funny, uh, and I mean I I enjoy I, I'm enjoying a lot of the content around it. But in other ways, it's almost like it's 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 a reflection of like how madly sick the game is. In other ways too, like last night's performance uh, we were watching here. First goal, particularly the Odegaard one, where ball comes down Chelsea's right hand side. Grant Jack has all the time in the world to pull the ball across. And Odegaard, who Chelsea know are so important, they've deployed three players in a kind of a holding position in their midfield. Yet Odegaard is standing there unmarked to curl the ball in. Yeah. I know, like, it shouldn't happen. That's not the basic effort. No, like, and that's it. I mean, it's it's almost... Uh, you know, it's almost almost it's almost wasting time to analyze it how bad it is. You know what I mean? In the sense of like, it's 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 so staring you in the face. Like it's the application of the basics, and you know, that you can be that easy to play against um, when you are in what is the best league in the world. You know, and you could be a big spender within that and be so just fragile or you know disorganized and. Um, you know, you, and, and you, you know, you can pick apart the details of it, but it feels like there's no one thing. It's just like the whole piece, the whole overall thing is 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 uh, is broken. But again, don't rule out them spending their way out of trouble either. And like you know, uh, uh, a sane sort of managerial appointment, you know, someone who who probably in a way has helped, whether it's Pochettino or whatever, who's helped by the chaos this year in terms of expectations that like they're whatever happens you know probably going to do better next year and it's easy to sell that as a as a progress um that eventually they'll probably be okay um that is the history of the club since Abramovich took oh, yeah. over there's been you know managers who've had short stints and Chelsea have decided to go in a totally different direction and so many times we've questioned even to Thomas Tuchel when he came in the yeah, year yeah. That they won the Champions League you're thinking there's no way he can have that kind of transformative effect the team that Frank has right now is not strong enough they weren't able to invest because of the transfer window bans and you're thinking there's no way they can do it and yet a coach comes in gets them organised and they win the Champions League yeah like they win, they've won two Champions League you know Champion Leagues by, by sort of you know sort of not playing by the rules of what people think you would need like everyone likes a, 
uh, a story when a team wins a trophy like a nice coherent how it happened thread which again like re- reaches the conclusion that this has been the product of a long standing plan you know and they've been building towards this um, and they haven't really done that and I know that's that's often the defence of the 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 Chelsea sort of model over the years that yes other clubs you know need to get to the sort of top of the mountain needed like the Klopp type figure or even at Spurs Pochettino at Spurs you know maybe that's why it's that's an interesting one here you know Pochettino, it felt like yeah okay he's the right fit for what they need to get there whereas Chelsea is just more it's the pick and mix in terms of what you need to do and uh, and that's why you sort of think well this will this will work for them again. And you know maybe maybe it will like maybe it's the 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 eighteen month cycle, but that's why the, the Pochettino link is is um, is one that I would find more interesting than some of their other appointments. Yeah. Oh, Potter was supposed to be that though, wasn't he? Like that's the only thing. Like, Potter, Potter was meant to be that, and yeah. he was to be given time, no matter what, when he yeah. was in. That didn't happen. No, I mean like the the briefing around that was. Oh, yeah, he will be. He will be. He will be. Yeah, he will be definitely going nowhere. Yeah, he's gone. Well, we shall Game. see. We shall see what they do this summer. I mean, yeah. again, they're still a very talented group of players. I firmly believe that. Um, but you start to kind of, the conventional wisdom seemed to be if they get a striker in in January, they get a forward in January, it'll click and it'll just happen. And yeah. then you see some of the team selections they've had in recent weeks where you know, Shalaba kind of comes in out of nowhere to play against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Aubameyang out of literally nowhere to play last night against Arsenal where he was nowhere near squads even in recent weeks. I just wonder how much damage this has actually done for Frank Lampard because there seemed to be a school of thought, Dan, that it was like, well, look, Frank comes in maximum 10 games at the end of the season and it can't really make a huge difference. He's just holding the seat until someone comes in next year Frank's lost seven games yeah, they've it's not scored good. only two goals that's not good like generally at all levels of football you get a bounce I mean you don't get the bounce of course that can be about the toxic environment the dressing room too um, but I suppose when he went in I was thinking like what's the worst that could happen and like that, that is now happening you know like I, I feel like there's probably a will for him to do well and I know it sometimes can be mocked a bit and I, I wouldn't be mad in it sometimes like some of the coverage um, the English, English media, media too defensive yeah and look people have criticised how Irish media cover Stephen Kenny and other yeah. things right so like you know I, I, I'm sort of conscious of throwing stones in that regard but um, there was this sort of tone around the time you know that when when, when, when Graham Potter left that maybe he just he just wasn't elite you know but then you replace him by someone who there's no evidence to suggest they're elite other than the fact that they're elite in terms of the company they keep Um but not maybe elite as a coach. And uh, I think it is, you know, these stats about um, the amount of games he's he's lost, you know, this run, like it's pretty grim, you know. Um, and I think go back, like, you know, people say, oh, like, you know, Derby actually did a reasonable job at that stage to a point. And, and you sort of think, like, but how do you go back from that to going back to that solid upwardly mobile championship club again and, and it not be a massive, massive blow? in some way but yeah we'll see if he has the desire to go and do that I think prospective employers have to look at his time at Everton and the two stints at Chelsea because that was within the Premier League and in the case of Chelsea it was with a reasonably good group of players to be able to work with similarly I think with Steven Gerrard he's probably going to be judged somewhat against what Unai Emery has done they eventually lost the game last weekend but 17 really good fixtures under Emery he brings them from just outside the bottom three all the way up into the European positions and makes that same group that Steven Gerrard was unable to get a kick out of to look actually quite a good team yeah, and again, I would say Jared did pretty well at, at Rangers. Um, he might have taken over at a decent time um, in the context of what was going on there. Um, 
you know, relative to Celtic sort of finding a way towards getting a good manager, which they now, which they now do. Um, but yeah, no, like that is that is damaging for them. Like just as like the the Tuchel stuff was for Lampard, you know, the, the first time around. Like you kind of forget that year of the transfer embargo. Um, I think it was perceived relatively positively, you know. And then they got sort of um, they got money, and uh, that's where it all went wrong. So like you can, you could build an argument that maybe there's a, a certain type of role for him that might work you know I, I sort of always feel he's one of those with the lobby that's there for him sometimes is that the ultimate thing is him being England manager one day and how much do you have to do to get that job and when Southgate got there he didn't have to do a huge amount but he was a different type of thing and he was inherent you know he's embedded in the system and it's worked um but yeah for Lampard and Jared actually um it's, you know that's I, I don't know it's an uncertain development for him for anyone who missed it earlier, we go from a prospective England manager in Frank Lampard to one of the shortest England managers of all time in Sam Allardyce. Sam, no shortage of confidence in his own ability at his press conference earlier today. I might be 68 and look old, but there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not, not Klopp, not Arteta. So it's all there with me. Um, and I share it with them. They 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 do what they do. I do what, do what I do. But in terms of knowledge and depth of knowledge, I'm up there with them. I'm not saying I'm better than them, but certainly as good as they are. Well, if you don't agree with him, Dan, you have to kind of acknowledge his own confidence in his own ability, which oh, might yeah. be required for the next few games. Oh yeah, like I mean, like he's. I mean, everyone's talking about it, right? Um, and. Are you more inclined to be interested in and leads at the weekend uh, as a consequence? Yeah, I wouldn't say they've grabbed me this year. You know, in terms of their story, as much as like they're a well-supported team in Ireland. Um, I mean, yeah, like you probably could do a few more medals. You know, but then again, I understand. You know, he never got the chance to like you know have state-funded uh, you know team sort of pushing things in his direction. Mm. Um, ah, look, I mean. It's, it's Are you going to suggest here that if Sam Allardyce had got a job at the very top of the Premier League I will never take away from some of the jobs he's done The like Bolton, Bolton stuff was remarkable. actually quite innovative at the yeah, time it Yeah, it was And even if like he brought in players who were discarded maybe at the wrong time by the clubs that they were yeah, there there's yeah. a little bit left in them and that Bolton team played some fabulous football You don't yeah. put it you don't put a team out with Jork AF and Okacha if you're not intending to actually play some nice football. Yeah, no, no, and and that's it. Like, I mean, I think at, at that stage, like you know, sometimes he's he's spoken about in sort of uh, that sort of dinosaur bracket because maybe a style of play he likes. But you'd speak to people around at that time, and you know, as I said, there was an innovative streak to how they sort of went about things in terms of their science element of it, you know, and and they they had a bit more going on around them. Um, but maybe now, like almost every manager is like that, and like to the you know, to the nth degree of it, like and and I yeah I don't know I always wonder what what with him is it's just like that England situation how it all uh, played out I mean it's it's a sort of um, that's the sort of that's in in his life like that's the that's the tragedy that should be in stage you know like you you uh, you eventually get there like I mean you know you think of a job where an England manager making those statements those type of statements is probably what people might have thought they needed at that stage and it turned out then he's gone and they're replaced by someone who's almost the opposite of that mm. in terms of the, the image they convey and 
and then you have to watch as that person goes and, and like brings them as close as anyone has with what is a good group of players that have come along that obviously you can't really control that to a degree as an international manager and you kind of wonder is in his own mind will he always be defined by that disappointment you know, and it's I feel it hard, hard done by in that yeah case it's probably it? a hard one to, mm. to shake and, and, and get off because he did that was probably the gig he got which was against all the odds that he got there um, you know relative to where he started I, I like Cliff going around from BBC this evening talking about Pep never won the League of Ireland first division which is true <laughs> you just, know and we'll, and we'll never change I've got a feeling um, Pep is not I, it's, it's unlikely I mean I know there's a bit of vibrancy around the league at the moment but uh, I'm not seeing him rocking up in that loan anytime soon oh Waiting oh, for thanks. Galway to go up this season at Loner's waiting for next year. Yeah, maybe oh, that's it. Right. Yeah, maybe that's it. Let's yeah. not run that loan down too much. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. No, no. Uh, particularly after the win against Finn Harps on Bank Holiday Monday. Uh, Lamming Sheep, Bulmers and Off the Ball. This is life. One of our textures on 5316. I'm not sure if that's James Gell. It could well be. Um, I think these are the three loves of his life combined. So maybe he can confirm if he's the texter. What does this say? So Lamming Sheep, Bulmers and Off the Ball. This is oh. life. Maybe it reflects the good weather we're having at the moment. Maybe it's good lambing weather. Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about lambing to know if having Bulmers while doing it is advisable. I'd say it makes it better, yeah, yeah. most likely. You've got a confidence about your performance, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't there know. You go. A, a decent night uh, to be had all in all. Um, looking at the um, league here at home, Dan, which we kind of alluded there a moment ago, yeah. I mean, Tim Clancy has lost his job at uh, St. Pat's. What was your, your take on this? Because I, I kind of see two different discussions happening at the moment which is hmm, on the face of it Pats aren't that far off at the moment and it feels maybe a little bit harsh on the other hand some Pats fans particularly have pointed out that really since the European run last year the results haven't been great and that maybe this is not reaching the standards that they were at two years ago yeah and it's, it's, it's funny one really because like the uh, Stephen O'Donnell departure was so contentious mm. and like you know naturally a lot of feeling with it but he was a hard act to follow as well, like you know, they did finish second and win the cup in in what twenty twenty one, and like in in this era where Shamrock Rovers are a little bit ahead of the rest, that's possibly the best you can do if you're a St. Pat's. And then, um, yeah, just just it's it's never quite felt like a union where you know he he was he'd ever fully won people over there, you know, and never quite had that sort of comfort. Of, of sort of having the ability to totally be the king of the castle. Um, and I know there's a lot of, um, you know, Pats probably have a lot of structures in place and influential people behind the scenes who were there. And, and you you know, you go into that environment um, rather than say everyone at the club, previously probably a draw to like everyone around him would have been his own people. He built something up over a period of time. So it's a little bit different, but look, that's that's probably the real world. You go to a bigger club, it's not, there's more layers to it. Um but yeah, I mean, they they formed this season. Like I have seen them a couple of times this season, and I I don't think they've been great. You know, um, they did get a good run um, after the break that took them to a level. You know, and there's been a few injuries at various times. They have some young players they've thrown in. Just probably the, the there was definitely a sense that while well, yes, technically on points they were close enough. To to the you know where they needed to be in the table. Sometimes it they, doesn't tell. They the just weren't story. purring. I thought they were very good. Sort of third quarter of last season after Europe. Even tactically, how they approached the games in Europe, um, I thought they were very good. And you, you sort of never would imagine then that like a period of time later, um, you might be out of work. And, and and you know you watch, you know like you know, the Premier League is insane this year in terms of manager 
you know, hiring and firing. You know, David Moyes is one of the survivors. Um, but one of the things about the league at home here, I mean, it's a very volatile environment. You're not getting a massive payoff if you leave. But it sort of did feel that you'd reached a point where a lot of the clubs had young managers who were going to be around for a while. Um, so it's, it's, slight, it's, it's a slight surprise to me that it, w- it would happen this quickly. But maybe not a huge surprise that it happened at all. Mm. Uh, Liam Buckley back in work again, gone to Cork. This seems to be a bit of a trend in the last few seasons. Now that clubs are moving towards having a sporting director, whether that be a young former player in some cases, uh, like with Stephen McPhail, in this case going with someone very experienced across the league in Buckley in Cork now. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's going on in Cork. I mean, the results have been bad, but a speculation tonight about sort of stuff there. I'm not going to... Um, Sort of go with that because I don't, I can't quite stand over it at the moment. But you know, it's pretty uncertainty around the managerial pitcher. But um, you know, it's been a tough run for um, for Colin Healy there. Um, and I don't know about this Liam Buckley appointment. How long it's been in the works? Um, I know he was at a Cork game recently, and there's a few people sort of commenting upon it. Um, but I mean, I, you know, that that that's by the by. Like, yeah, the, the general. Like, I think one of the biggest issues with Irish football. Uh, as we watch Haaland make it 2-0 um, who else one of the biggest issues is the lack of like staffing I know I was talking earlier about the horse and greyhound stuff and um, and, and generally like um, clubs here like how they operate is is not ideal like they generally would spend a lot of their budget on players rather than maybe like behind the scenes staff and then you'll have a manager at a club who's carrying a lot of burden and um, it's prudent like it was a big issue here with a lot of people who have like ex-managers who are pro licenses who lose a job and it's very hard for them to get back in like they're almost lost potentially lost to the game and there's a load of them out there um, so you know Bowes have got Pat, Pat Fenlon back in this year you know Liam Buckley and a Cork um, I think it's good to have the experience that these people employ with the game um, obviously you have to have a relationship with your manager and um, Cork have a new owner this year Dermot Usher um, who's uh, I think Kildare Kildare based I think he's a dub but like there's I'm not saying it's all been plain sailing there um, and you know Cork's results have been poor and there's always a sense of I think there's a fondness for like a, a local flavour even to their team and some of the decision making and um, it's just sort of on the edge of, of, of being choppy for them at the moment so um, I wouldn't say it's the easiest situation for someone to walk into no, Erling Haaland uh, being celebrated at the moment. Uh, Phil Foden straight across after his uh, trademark celebration. Um, 35 Premier League goals now. He's edging in on Dixie Dean's record. I don't know if he's going to get there, but to have gone over 50. What's the record again? Is it? Oh. Uh, I have it taken down here somewhere. It's a big Sorry, one. To I've, I've thrown that to you. So Clive um, Allen's mark was 49. Uh, so Haaland went over 50 in all competitions uh, last week. Um so he's got, he needed 44 games to get to the 50. So now he's gone over the 50 in his 45th. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it seems absolutely remarkable. You look back at some of the records previously. Dixie Dean did 63 goals in all competitions in one season. Now, that looks like a big ask, but he potentially has three games left in Europe and a cup final. Yeah. Does he play all the games? That's the thing. Yeah. God, they're crazy numbers. It's like, you know, people playing football manager, championship manager when they were younger. It's like cheat code stuff. I'd have these players who like I don't know they've been they've been rigged to be excessively good and they you know this whole thing of someone like playing 20 something games and having more goals than appearances and like you know Ronaldo and, and Messi have probably already rewrote the convention on that but the Haaland stuff is sort of uh, other scary stats um, yeah I mean it's it's I, I know to be fair it's not as if he's had setbacks this season like is this as good a run 
as he'll get will it ever be uh, you know will he ever have a sort of an injury free campaign that's comparable I don't think he has missed much really has he so no he's um, a robust kind of guy and generally when he comes back from injuries he tends to come back and play quite well straight away he's like just a machine or a robot he was compared to I think earlier this year but the other thing about it Dan before we go to the break when it comes to Haaland because we've been eulogising him all season but uh, when you look at the records and the numbers that the kid is putting up right now earlier on the season there was this argument happening that maybe his goals weren't necessarily adding to the team because City were scoring the goals through him as opposed to players yeah. elsewhere. But like right now, he's the type of guy that every game, even when he looks a little bit off like the Arsenal game last week, you expect him to score. And that is the most valuable thing to have in football is a number nine who you can guarantee is going to score your goals. Yeah, there was one or two games where you could understand that argument. And probably might have spoken about it here at some stage. Like You definitely could see there was times where you know, his natural instincts weren't totally in sync with the team's natural style. And it was it was there was uneasy elements to it, even though he was scoring insane amounts of goals, right? And like there have been times in recent years, you've had you've had teams where like Ronaldo has scored a load of goals, like you know, four, and that team hasn't really achieved their their aims. But now yeah, it's it's all gonna. I mean, the 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 Madrid games will probably write the history in some ways, you know, in in sense of if they if they lose to Madrid, like you can feel like whatever happens, the fallout will be had and centered, and if they win it feels the same you know do you know what I mean it's it's yeah. like it's the it's going to be the ultimate test of that debate I think as well when it comes to that game all the narrative is going to be around will City implode in the way that they did last season because really they had Real Madrid they on won. the rack and beat. they won until they lost yeah. you know, they, they won the tie in the tactical battle and then capitulated for five minutes and that was it you know I've never known anything like it no like they did Madrid. what you had to do like they proved that they could match them across the two legs and just got as close as you can get and then just completely you know, completely lost their way to the point where it almost defies analysis to the point of like mm. this is just this is like a freakish thing but naturally you know there's a mental aspect to that that you have to analyse yeah I know there has to be I mean Real Madrid don't come back in all these games in Europe coincidentally yeah, exactly, they've got yeah. uh, something about them especially when it comes to uh, the European Cup so the latest scores then there's about uh, 40 minutes of normal time left in both games Liverpool lead against Fulham by one goal to nil Manchester City now on course to go back to the top of the table they are 2-0 up against West Ham you are listening and watching the football show at the moment here on Off the Ball our football coverage is brought to you by Sky you can catch the biggest live Premier League games every weekend on Sky Sports We'll be back in a moment. Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. The only thing intercounty players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. (laughs) Wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the football show. Our own Richie McCormick has been crunching the numbers and there's still 18 players historically who've scored more goals in a single season in England than Erling Haaland. Now, granted, sometimes that was when uh, the goals per game was a little bit higher and also at times when there were more games being played in a season. Uh, But Erling Haaland uh, potentially could still get past Dixie Dean's record of 63 now that he's gone to 51 goals for the season. Man City in cruise control at the moment. Phil Foden has just come on for Julian Alvarez. A nice sub to be able to bring on. And uh, City with 10 minutes to go lead 2-0 against West Ham. And Liverpool continue to lead against Fulham by one goal to nil. Now, for something slightly different, uh, we're going to have a chat about the Ryan McBride Foundation. I'm delighted to say that Gareth McKay is with us, who's a founding member of the foundation. Gareth, how are you getting on? Not so bad, well, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, tell us about what's happened here, because you guys have got an upcoming massive fundraiser 
and it's not just something that's like an annual fundraiser or something that you've got planned uh, because of different consequences around Brexit and also I guess because of the Stormont Assembly uh, not being sitting currently uh, you found yourselves in quite the push for funding for the foundation Yes we do um, when we originally set up the foundation after Ryan passed away it was set up using a lot of funds from various League of Ireland fans and uh, a new number of people from kind of across the world really who donated in their fund and um, it, we obviously kept us and got us up and running but over the last uh, four years we've um, had applications and for funding the, the government here in, in Northern Ireland through the executive office and we've built up uh, you know programs and at the minute we now deliver programs there around 2,500 children per week um, in schools and uh, it, it it's around coaching and football but it, it's around motor skills, childhood obesity and then we also um, you know carry messages regarding bullying and um, things around sectarianism, racism etc um, and unfortunately we've been notified that um, our funding is going to be cut um, and a lot of other uh, community groups here in Northern Ireland and particularly here in Derry as well have lost all of, all of the funding um, so there's mass redundancies and just a mass uh, kind of exodus, exodus of all the uh, services that's been provided Yeah because Gareth when the foundation was set up in um, Ryan's memory a few years ago I think it was around 2017 when you set it up uh, yeah. initially it seemed like it was going to be to try and provide opportunities for youngsters around the city to learn the game and to play football um, but it sounds like you've got a more holistic approach or maybe things have evolved in the five or six years since. Yeah, things have evolved. I mean, the foundation still runs um, soccer camps. It runs those right throughout the summer, right throughout the winter and Easter, etc. And there is an element of getting kids to play football. But I think what we've soon found in the primary schools is, it, is that it's not a, really a case of getting kids to play football. It's getting the case. It's a case of getting them to move at all and basic coordination skills because you know a lot of them spend a lot of time on social media or on xboxes and all the rest and it like you can see it yourself if you go in the streets these days where you might have played football years ago you go there now and there's no one playing football anymore they're all, they're all at home play, playing fifa so um we, we found that you know we, we had to take a different approach to this we had to actually just start getting them moving getting them active um and the foundation's grown you know we've um, six or seven staff that work now with, with us, you know, full time, um, and yeah, it, it suppose it just became much bigger than it was ever really planning planned to be. But I think Ryan's name carried so much weight, and the kind of idea behind the foundation kind of grabbed people's attention. And um, we've had just a lot of good people involved with it, and it's it has grown in a number of different kind of areas. So the. The, the foundation is just there to try and help young people in Derry, whatever way that may be. And the staff and the coaches who are going in currently, by the sounds of it, particularly where this has got an emphasis around the primary schools, were you maybe supporting schools who wouldn't have had those coaches or maybe people in place to work with the kids beforehand? Yeah, there, I mean, there was really no one doing the type of thing that the foundation now does. Um and we went down we, you know, we, because we thought we could, we could help in some of the local areas. And, you know, we've, we've, we've also had a, there's another aspect of it as well. That we've got some really experienced coaches, but some of the coaches that we have have been brought in in apprenticeships. So they're maybe 16, 17, 18. 
and come out of school maybe no qualifications and that route's not going to work for them so they've come in they work with us as young coaches and it's given them a start in the game it's given them some you know, basic coaching we, we we get them badges we get them coaching badges and all their safeguard and child protection qualifications so it means that someone can maybe earn well they're always earning a wage with us but in the next four five six seven years they can earn their money coaching their money you know refereeing small sided games all the rest of it so uh, yeah, as she said earlier, it's a holistic approach. The foundations kind of, you know, we we're not kind of blinkered down the one alleyway. We're we're looking to help young young kids at you know from age. We we have a little kickers on three from age three to five on a Saturday morning with primary schools, and then we work with you know players that are a bit older in, in our camps, and then we're helping young young guys leaving school as an access way in the in the coaching so there's just a number of different aspects and we're not closed off to anything if you know what i mean yeah so explain to me then you've got the momentum of the foundation being set up at the start and uh, the fundraising around that and crucially the state funding that was coming in uh, everything is building along and then yeah. what happens that's made the funding so difficult right now where you guys feel like you're on the brink of going to the wall well one of the issues is that with the with the funds that you receive from the likes of the um, executive office and the funders, essentially what you have to do is you will run the project for, uh, for for twelve months, but you you'll run it for three months and then you claim back your costs from the previous three months. So at the minute, you know the foundation's owed over twenty thousand from 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 government here in Northern Ireland, and it's 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 not the case that we won't get those funds. It's just the case that everything seems to be moving so slow at the moment, and um, we don't know when we'll get them. And the the funding runs to financial year, so so April to de- de- March. Um, as of March thirty first of March, we have no funding. Uh, we are owed twenty thousand pounds from last year, and we've been given no grant for this year. Um, We've been told that because of no sitting government and, and budget cuts that our uh, funding is going to be cut. And we've also been told that there's no um, there's no debt being set yet as to when we'll even find out when we've got the funding. So at the minute, we're running, we're still running the, the, the programme, but we're, run, we're running it at, at our own risk because there's a good possibility that we won't be able to claim back the hours that we're doing at the minute. So if you think about it, we're in 30 schools and we have two each week, and we have two coaches per school. So if you add that all up, it comes to a hefty bill. And essentially, the, the, the people who are on the board, who are all voluntary, we had to put, put our hands in our own pockets last month and pay the, the coaches' wages herself. So that's that's the situation we're in. Yeah, I mean, like um, that's not sustainable to get into a position where you're taking on your own personal debt to try and keep the programme going. So what's the next step then? Well, we've had a look at... Uh, fundraising campaigns. Um, we've, uh, as as you'll know from League of Ireland, Ryan was number five, and it was it's a, it's a number that Derry City have since retired, and um, so five is always a, a, a big number. And um, so Friday's the fifth of the fifth, and uh, we're doing a, a go red for Ryan campaign. So the idea is that you on, on Friday uh, you wear something red and you, you donate five pounds. And we're with all of our schools that are on our program are, are getting involved on it as well because obviously there's a benefit for them because if we can we can get the funding that they'll get certainty that they're going to have the, the program for the next twelve months. Um, with workplaces getting involved, sports teams, and then we've had a 
a lot of Ryan's ex-teammates, ex-opponents, and, and people who knew him. Um, Kenny Cunningham, obviously from your own show, he, he coached Ryan when Ryan played in the uh, League Ireland Select for the Dublin Super Cup, um, probably about seven, eight years ago. So Kenny's um, always kind of been there for they help us with things. He's done a dinner for us and he played in our soccer sixes. So he's done a wee video for us online. So we're just trying to get the word out and and we're hoping that this will give us some breathing space and give us some certainty that we can kind of keep things going at least to the end of the school year, which is the end of June. Yeah, I mean, look, it's great to see the football community comes around people when required in these cases. You mentioned Kenny Cunningham. There's a few Kennys involved here. Kenny Shields, uh, former Derry boss, and also Stephen Kenny, I think, is helping you guys out at the moment as well. Yeah, so Kenny Shields is on our board. So he's, he's always been part of the foundation. And he's part of setting it up and he still is. He still gives up a lot of his time. He's come and done some coaching masterclasses for us uh, for coach education. Um, and um, Stephen Kenny uh, is also he's patron of the uh, of the of the Ryan McBride Foundation. Um, obviously, Stephen played a massive part in Ryan's life and career. Um, you know, he changed his life really. Um, Ryan was playing pub football, and uh, he was told that you know, um, essentially, he probably you know, he wasn't really good good enough, and um, he got picked up. Uh, playing in a, a, a summer cup game, and um, was told to kind of report to the Brandywell next week for you know see how you get on. And he went over, and um, you know within sort of eight or nine months, he was playing the first team against Shamrock Rovers at home and got man of the match. And uh, you know Stephen Kenny took a massive gamble on him because there's not many managers I think that would look at someone who's never played professional football, never been in an academy, and uh, basically playing for a pub team. And bring them from that to League of Ireland and playing against you know Gary Twig that night. Um, I think Stephen, uh, you know, did something very special and as I said, changed Ryan's life because um, set him up for the career that he had and become captain of his hometown club. And I think if you've ever been to Brandywell, you'll probably know where Ryan's house is. It's right, right behind the stadium. So it's just a story. That's I don't think there's many stories like it. You know, a lad who kind of lives seven or eight doors down, um, uh, gets plucked and ends up going on to captain the club. It's just an amazing story and you know, Stephen deserves a lot of credit for what he does. You mentioned that there's a cross-community element to all this too and in many ways it's a cross-border story because you've got Derry City, your club, who are currently playing in the League of Ireland. Um, I presume there are students who probably cross the border to maybe go into some of the schools that they're going into currently. Is there any way that the government here in the Republic of Ireland could potentially provide some funding towards you or are you entirely at the whim of the UK government when it comes to this funding? No, we're, we're not really. Um, we received um, funding previously from the Department of Foreign Affairs for some cross-border work that we did um, and in, in the schools that we're in, so uh, the foundation is in schools on both sides of the the, the, the river here. You know, um, It's in Protestant schools, Catholic schools, Schools that don't identify as is either some integrated schools, and in order that we're not just coaching in separate schools, we set up like a Champions League, and the the groups are intensely set up. So there's a mixture of students with different backgrounds in it. So we're trying to bring the schools actually together to play against each other, but there's always a ethos of friendship behind it. And then we have a massive Remy Bright Schools Cup at the end. So. Yeah, and a lot of the, the children are coming in from Donegal. Uh, a lot of our 
schools are right on the border. Um, so there, there's all those aspects are built into it. Um, so yeah, it's it's say we've, we've we've kind of thought about all those type of things of trying to use peace and reconciliation, etc. And there there is a, a fund now that I think that's been set up, and we've been sort of directed towards that. And it is a fund that's been set up, I understand, by the Irish government, and it is open for groups in Northern Ireland to apply as long as there's a cross border element to it. And to say it's not an issue for us because. We're literally a stone throw from Donegal, and you know, um, we 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 run camps in Bunkrana as well, uh, and we run them in, in the city here. So we've been we're working cross border as it is. Gareth, for those who might be listening to us right now, because when it comes to five five at the end of this week, it'll probably be a lot of people in the local area who will be throwing a literal five pounds to you. Is there a way for people to send funds to the foundation if they're listening elsewhere in the country right now? Yeah, absolutely. We have a just given page set up. So um if you we're up we're on Twitter, it's just it's McBride Five Foundation. Um and we also have a Facebook page. So if anyone wants to go on there, they can catch the videos of all the kind of players past and present and um and they can donate five five pounds as well. And um as I say it'd be um much appreciated and um you know, we especially appreciate your guys' support for bringing us on this evening as well. Our pleasure. Look, best of luck with the fundraising this coming Friday and probably more fundraisers will probably be required on the far side as well. Gareth, thanks a million for joining us on the show. Not a problem. Thanks. All, all the best, lads. Almost okay. full time, Dan, in the game that we're watching currently at the Etihad. And uh, Phil Foden, who we mentioned had come on, speculative enough shot, ends up in the net. Yeah, no, it's, um, I see it's, it's, it is game over now. I mean, yeah, it could have been any number in the end, really, like West Ham had one or two moments. But yeah, um, sort of a, fortuitous element maybe but um, yeah game over hey, you got to buy a lottery ticket oh yeah that's it yeah it's not quite uh, world class basics there but it's just more uh, yeah get a bit of luck sometimes too volley outside the box uh, Phil Foden scores 3-0 very comfortable a lot more comfortable looked at half time or West Ham yeah. were digging in um, Liverpool have won again uh, they've beaten Fulham by one goal to nil I don't know Dan if there's going to be enough shakiness from the teams higher up especially now that Liverpool have played 34 games compared to United have two games in hand and you've got Newcastle with a game in hand who are currently six ahead yeah. they've timed this little run of five wins in a row in the league too late yeah no I, I it feels like it's just a little bit too far and, and also can you be convinced that they're going to as much as it is a run you can't underestimate it like can they can they bring it all the way um, and yeah probably the Europa League which I know some of them aren't mad about being in it but still probably you know life is short you know competition you can win they might well look at finishing fifth or sixth place as successful compared to where they were a few months yeah ago. I mean maybe so yeah like it's not the goal no, start of the year no of course but I mean it's it's Again, it's not the end of the world. Football here on Sky on uh, off the ball even is brought to you by Sky. You can catch the biggest Premier League games each weekend on Sky Sports.